Welcome to another episode of Musician Rewind. I'm here today with my man, fellow drummer, Zach Robinson, known as number nine, creator, leader of, of the Nappy Head Funk Army. What's going on, Zach? Hey, man. How you doing, Kev, man? Thanks for having me, man. So Appreciate good, you, man. man. Thanks for being Appreciate on. Appreciate you. No doubt. So, all right. Like I do with everybody else, I know you're a drummer, <laughs> but is that the instrument you started with? Nah, it is not, bro. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I wish. My first instrument, man, saxophone. Alto okay. saxophone. Wow. Uh, yeah. Thing was pretty big. Um, I remember my music teacher, Mr. Bovio, say, hey, I want you to play sax. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll give it a shot. It wasn't me. It wasn't me, Kev. Um, couldn't get to read right. Right. Chipping my tooth. Is is this elementary or what what grade yeah. we in? Yeah, I was I was in I, I was in fifth grade. Oh, okay. So fourth grade, you know, we picked the instrument that summer, took it home. And when you came back for fifth grade in, okay. in, in on Long Island, you know, you basically uh, back then they used to just let you have instruments to take home, as you know. So they want everybody to really be into the music thing. But I took it home and I tried. I really wasn't into it. Um, and then when I came back in fifth grade, you know, he, he was saying, hey, let's give it a try, you know, in the first, you know, quarter of the orchestra and see what happens, you know. But I, I couldn't get the fingering, the technique, the tone. It was just way right. too much stuff going on with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow. That's, that's interesting. Because a lot of, I think there's only been one, per, no, it was two people that started on the instrument that I knew them when I uh -huh. met them. Yeah, out of everybody yeah. so far, everybody starting something else. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then you went from sax to drums, or yeah, yeah. Here's what happened: um, the drum room was right next to the brass room, and I would hear, you know, my friends like they be in there like rattling, man, and it just seemed more exciting. And and I believe my guy, my teacher, he was a jazz guy, and you know, and at that time. It was more about Hendrix, Buddy Miles, you know, Sly. Right. That stuff was coming through, you know, and and the sax thing was cool. And I probably didn't try hard enough, but I didn't see that as an exciting instrument. I got into music back then when I saw it for the excitement and right. ooh, the girls like right. it, you know what I'm saying? All this <laughs> other stuff. And drums just seemed more exciting to me. It seemed like a better way for me to express myself. Um, you know, especially after watching a lot of the drummers in church, you know, right. so after the first quarter, I asked him, I was like, hey, you know, can I go in the drum room, you know, and mess mm -hmm. around with them, you know, and he said, okay, I'm gonna switch you over, you know, and he switched me over and, and it worked out pretty good. I, I was grateful that he did, because then I got really into the drums and started understanding that place, their place in, a, in, a, in an orchestra and the drum place as well as playing in a brass ensemble and things like that, you know? Right. Um, so yeah, it was kind of cool, but I tell you, I faked a lot of it. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't gonna it's, lie. And now what school was this? Cause you, you was out now. Again, most people know that I started this from Jamaica, Queens, but now we moved on out to Long Island. Uh, Zach's from, you're originally from Long Island, right? Yeah, Bayshore, Long Island. Bayshore. Yep. And it was, um, Fifth Avenue Elementary School. Okay. Because you know? um, it was because just because I'm I'm listening to you going like they had a drum room 
You know, like where, right. where I went to school, it was like, really, you had a separate room for different instruments? Yeah, we did, man. It was, it was you know, Bay Show was like that. They had a little money, you know. I, I um, I grew up under in a, you know, nice little, um, right. you know, conservative middle class town, you know. Right. Um, yeah, they had a room for your strings, room for your brass, wow. and room for your drums, you know. Wow. So yeah, they had it hooked up. Yeah, yeah, it was dope. So you know, um. Drums was a funny thing because I I I I suffer from dyslexia, mm. you know. And back then they didn't really know what that was, but right. I couldn't figure out the notes. So I used to watch my friend, never forget his name, Eugene Cairo, mm. and I would watch and see what he's doing, and then I would try to mimic it, <laughs> and I faked it pretty good. <laughs> Got a couple of years out of it. <laughs> yeah, that, that was me. I I memorized stuff. Um, me and a friend of mine, Elliot, we were the only seventh graders in the eighth grade band. Yeah. And we wasn't reading. And I was memorizing what the eighth graders was playing. <laughs> you know, that that's what I was doing. I memorized it. So when we got in the senior band the following year and they still playing some of that stuff, I was playing from memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same thing, yeah. man. Same thing. Yo, I tell you, you have such a gift, though, man. I've worked with you in many projects, man, and your gift of memory is superb. You know, it's, it's amazing. But man, yeah, man, man that's that's kind of like how I got into the drums. I, I wanted to literally just Buddy Miles was my guy. Right. You know, so um, and this is this is elementary school. We said around fifth grade. So yeah, so all grade, through yeah. junior high. So when did the set come in? Are you in junior high, high school? Another great story, right? Um, I was in fifth grade. I didn't have a drum set. So I asked a friend of mine, this um, Latin cat that I knew, you know, and he he was like, you know, um, very much more advanced in the neighborhood playing drums. Right. So I asked him if I could borrow his drum set, you know, um, somewhere during the middle of fifth grade, because there was a little like dance that the teachers wanted us to do. And everybody could come up there and do a little talent. So mm-hmm. me, um, Nathan King, and this guy named Larry Storworth and his brother Eddie Storworth, we put together a band. And all we wanted to do was come up and play one song, Tighten Up. <laughs> they said, hey, you get it. Well, you know how it is in elementary right. school. You get a right. little five minutes of fame. And we had our little vest on. And we we're going to tighten up. First, let's <laughs> tighten up on the drums. And let me tell you, Kev, I was born, <laughs> I was not tightened up on the drum. I was, uh, I was like, <laughs> I was all over the map, right? And it was all right, but I could tell that that wasn't it. Something right. in my heart said, if you got to do this, you're going to actually have to learn how to play. You can't fake. You right, can right. fake in the band, but you can't, you know, in the orchestra, but right. you can't fake when you have a specific part to play. <laughs> so right. that clicked something. And that summer, you know, um, I asked my father, I was like, you know, I really want to play drums. And he, what he used to do was take me to the church because he was a minister. Mm. And when sometimes on Saturday, he would go there and cut the lawn and everything, you know, mm. and he would start taking me and he said, go down there and practice on a drum set in the church, you know, and, and, and I started doing that and I realized, okay, I'm going to have to get someone to show me. 
because I don't know what I'm doing still. And that's where the brother Howard Beeman came in. You know, he was the guru of Long Island. Um, right. he, he was the guy of Long Island. And he took me aside and he said, well, you better work on your foot. He mm -hmm. said, you do all top, but you ain't got no foot. Right. And I was like, I got, I'm, I'm hitting it. He said, nah, you ain't hitting nothing in the right spot. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He said, you trying to use your foot as like the lead because you know buddy miles and all they was playing double bass right, and i right, wanted yep. to run before i could walk bro right. so he he sat me down broke me down and and taught me left right right left individual mm -hmm. things that my hands and feet were supposed to be doing because i couldn't work the hi-hat i know nothing about tuning or nothing right. so that summer you know, my dad was like, okay, we'll buy you a little drum set. You sit in the backyard and you start tapping. So I kind of started like that. And, um, you know, I just tried to work as hard as I could because by no means was I the gifted musician that I saw a lot of cats in my neighborhood. I was not like that. I actually literally had to practice like hours and hours and hours, you know what I mean, to get to, to that point. So it was cool. It was fun, fun growing up like that. Yeah, man. That, I mean, that's pretty much... I started much later. Um, like, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get to start playing until junior high school. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I didn't. You know, in school it was just the snare drum. I was like, yeah, this is not gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> I can't get in. I can't get in a band just playing a snare drum. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, it's true. It's so, true. Yeah, you know. Uh, again, Richard Ruiz, like the biggest influence on me mm -hmm. that I mm -hmm. would come and get to play on his set. You know, it's funny because you guys out there, we were afraid, deathly afraid of the city. I used to go into gospel shows with Howard, you know, mm -hmm. and watch all you guys, Queensbrook, whatever. I was like, man, we'll never be as good as these guys. And I think because you guys grew up around such an intense you know, group of musicians, Long Island didn't really have it like that. They were right. scattered. Right. You know, so the pressure was on you guys a lot harder um, than than us out there because Long Island, you know, like I said, you had a guy here, a guy there. You know, you didn't have really cats that could play multiple instruments like I saw in the city. You know, um, and and yeah. and the drums is a funny instrument, especially back then because drummers were tasked to do so much, mm -hmm. you know, in a band. Right. And that's that's why when my dad bought me the drum set, he told me two things. He said, listen, he said, because, you know, my mother had died when I was seven and he knew I was always struggling with with um, finding my spot, my place. Right. And he said that, um, you know, if you're going to do this, he said, I'm going to back you and support you. He said, but you got to keep your schoolwork up. Right. You know, um, and, and 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 which I did, which I did, because like you, I loved my drum set. I used to lay in bed and look at it at night. I literally slept with my stakes <laughs> under my pillow in my hand. First thing Saturday morning, uh, I'm on. I'm trying to do stuff, you know. And 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 I and I look back on those times, and it gives me goosebumps even now talking to you, bro. Because I thank my father for always just giving me that opportunity. You right. Know, he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. A lot of parents, you know, it's like. Pfft, musician no you do right. something else but he was dope man and you know and a little by little you know you learn and you go somewhere and you get your butt kicked and you sulk home 
you know, and then right. you're like, okay, I'm going to try to do this. And you watch somebody on TV, you see Buddy Rich, and you're like, I'll never be able to do that. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, Buddy Rich was a monster. Oh man, yo, wasn't he back then in the 60s? Like, Him and Louis, <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And because yeah. that basically that's what you would see on TV, like, you ain't yeah. get to see a lot of black drummers on TV. So, nah. again, people nope. need to realize, you know, that's what we were seeing. Yes, yes, buddy, yes. you know, yep, 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 yep. Uh, and, it, and, and like you just said, bro, it, it wasn't a hurting feeling. I just knew that's the way the times were. I knew there were other black people because right. I had the albums. Right. You yeah. know? Right. So but I'm like, I don't see you on my screen, right. but I'm listening to you. And I actually think that helped us even more because it made us hungry. You know, we're like, okay, I may not be on TV other than Sammy Davis and, you know, maybe right. Johnny Mathis or somebody. Cause I tell you, first time I saw Sammy Davis Jr. play drums on TV, I was like, Oh, I miss that, man. I, I miss yeah. that 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 feeling of freedom because I tell a lot of young black men and women, like the sense of freedom for minorities back then was few and far in between. So when minorities got a chance to be free in the arts, that's why the they arts. really went for it. The arts because the arts important. couldn't hold them back. Arts were very important with expression and creativity. Yep. Very, yep. very important back then. I, I got to say, it kept me out of trouble. Me too. Me too. The drums kept me out because yep. it was always trouble to get into. Yep. But um, so so by the time you got to high school, are you in playing in the local band yet? My first band, yes. We had a <laughs> this is hilarious, right? Again, you know, Bayshore really wasn't known for fakers, but we could fake. So <laughs> <laughs> the white kids, and there's nothing against the white kids, they had all the money. Mm. So the first band I got into, we was literally like we had the, you know, the the old fashioned tape recorder with that long thing, with that long microphone you could plug in and had to click, click. We, yeah, 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 yeah. We was using them. <laughs> we were, bro, we was using them for PAs and stuff, the little crappy <laughs> amps, right? And when you take the mic and you can splint it at the end, yeah. and then you could, you could splice it onto a quarter inch and plug it into an amp, right? Wow. That was our PA system. Um, um, Alan Griffin had a decent bass amp. Nathan King had a good guitar amp, but we was doubling that for PA, right? And I had a decent drum set, but my cymbals were like crap because I had the, the, the cheapest thing you could just Fold them like tape. Yeah, boys. yeah. <laughs> oh. What are you talking about? Oh my God. I used to brutal, call them bro. with dishpans. <laughs> that, this, right, right. This is what we was taking out, trying to trying to play. And 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 there was a battle of the bands, you know. And um, again, we didn't have none of that. And we went there and totally embarrassing. It was in it was in seventh grade, and the name of the band was um Golden Fleece. Because you know, we was all about Again, substance, right. all hat, no cattle. <laughs> so we had a band called Golden Fleece, and, and Larry Graham had just dropped, ain't no doubt about it, mm. you know. And we're up there, the bass player, you know, Alan Griffin, he can thump a little bit. I'm holding right. the pocket. By this time, I can actually hold the pocket. I right. couldn't really do much else, but I'm holding the pocket. And and Gary Bordy's, and you know Gary because he played mm -hmm. with us. He was with the white guys, and they had SVTs rolling in, Marshall stacks, <laughs> right? Wow. Real guitars. They had AKG mics. And here we are, 
next to them. Wow. And 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 this lady named Mrs. Griffin, Alan Griffin's mother, said, This is not gonna work again. And she went out and bought us a PA system. Oh, nice. And this was the bass player's mother because she saw something in us, right? right? And and that's when I had to go home and I had to say, Dad, I need a better drum set. I said, this one Tamex thing, no, right? And by that time he saw that I was still doing it. So that was in seventh grade. In eighth grade again, now we coming back, same three bands, Battle of the Bands. Now we got a year under our belt and now we coming back with equipment. Mm. And now we come in there playing Ohio players skin tight. I'm getting goose pimples thinking about because we work all every Saturday, religiously, bro. No sports, no game. Every Saturday, right. we're practicing from 12 o'clock in the afternoon till 9 o'clock at night in Mrs. Griffin's basement. And we learning jams like long train running, mm. Ohio players skid tight. And we're like, oh, we're going to come back and win this thing, you know? And sure enough, that next September, October came around. You put it for the Battle of the Bands, and they always had it in April. Right. So all throughout the school year, everybody whispering, oh, you know, this and that Golden Fleece. And we changed our name to the Bang Gang. Don't ask me why. We, <laughs> we bang and we bang. I don't even know what that was about. Wasn't no gang thing. I think right. it was a song by by this 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 funk, um, this country rock group, James, somebody. And it was James Bang or something bang. And we put that together, the Bang Gang. Mm. Right. Because we was like. We got to come back and crush these guys. And sure enough, they rolled through, we rolled through, and they made the mistake of putting us on last. And at that time, we had the hottest track. Because then the White Cats, they was playing Edgar Winter in the White Trash and all of that stuff. But we came out with Skin Tight. Mm. And that won it for us. And we came out with that. And we was hitting it. We didn't have no horns or nothing. Right? It was two guitars bass and drums and we hit them with skin tight and somehow the judges was like eh, they win this time you know because right. the other band had rested on their laurels they didn't learn nothing new you mm -hmm. know the other two bands just came back with what they had and they saw that you know we were coming back with something different and plus when we came back that second time bro we looked like the ohio players we had the big hats with the scarves right. The bell bottoms. I had. I was playing my drums with two inch platforms, and I'll never forget it. My father, he was so good to me, man. I said, "Dad, there's this pedal out called the Ghost Pedal. I gotta have it." And at that time, it was like fifty nine dollars. That was a lot of money back then, right? right. So I went to Bajurmark Music down there in Bayshore in the mall. They had the Ghost Pedal in it, and it had those two things on the side where you had to kind of adjust the wheels. And I got that Ghost Pedal. That changed my drumming experience because I had knew that the cat in Ohio plays played on a ghost pedal and I wanted to be him. He was like, he had became my favorite drummer diamond by the time he came in with them. And um, yeah, man. So we went back and when I was in eighth grade and you know, that's when i um, again, the, the band at the time was Manchild. Um, it was the Lieutenant's band Moonshadow and all of them before they was cameo and all that on long Island. Mm -hmm. And we were like the next underneath them. And they were the ones that was playing the clubs and trying to get the record deals. And we were like, okay, e eventually, I guess they're going to draft some of us up, you know, like the NFL. And sure enough, man, when I was in 10th grade, 
um, Howard Beeman and Goldie Carter and Bubba Shirley, they come to our practice and they was like, listen, we need, we got a wedding and, and half the band quit. And I had never played a professional wedding gig before, didn't know mm. nothing about it. And they said, listen, you're good enough and you're good enough. And they pointed to me and Nathan, mm. Alan Griffin, I'll never forget, threw his bass down and said, you're ruining the band. And I said, hey, they drafted us, bro, we gotta go. <laughs> So that's how I got into with Howard, that next tier up. Right. And then I thought, and again, this is dope, right? Because again, when I got into Manchild, I still wasn't good enough. I mm-hmm. still wasn't good enough, man, because they were at another level. Right. And that's right. when I realized, bro, the levels. I started understanding the levels. Right. You know, um, and, and it really taught me something. And I and that 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 10th grade to 12th grade experience was it, it changed everything for me it really did because i realized without practice without putting in the oh, work yeah. oh have to yeah i mean that's I, that's all i did i was either it was b-ball practice and and eventually it, it became all about music i would practice it wouldn't matter to me to have band rehearsal every day yeah yep every day i was hardly ever home because i was you know practicing this one i was just playing with one band at a time when i started playing you know with with more than one band it it was school and just that yeah which yeah. which was fine for me yeah that era what you just mentioned bro was such an important era and, and for for all musicians that wanted to do it because like i said between 10th and 11th i made a quantum leap because mm-hmm. i understood what it was that i really wanted because like you i played football Right. But I okay. played, you know, Little League in ninth grade and 10th grade, right? I remember I was, uh, you know, because I used to just run back punts and stuff. And I got hit so hard, right? The ground was cold. It was late October. I got hit in the coach and I fumbled mm-hmm. the ball. And the coach was like, you know, um, and my father was sick too. So my heart really wasn't in it. But, you know, he said, you don't seem like you really into football, you know, mm-hmm. anymore. And I said, coach, if we win, I go home and play my drums. If we lose, I go home and play my drums. You know, I said, I like football. I enjoy it. I just love the game. I said, but like you, I was worried about my fingers and toes at the right. time and getting hurt, you know? And that's why I could, I could relate to what you said, because I loved playing football, man. I would play football. I'd be the last one to go in, first one out. Hey, let's play football, you know? But again, that music thing was core to me, and I really wasn't quite sure. And then having that experience with Manchild and Howard and understanding, you know, how to how to play the same way at two o'clock in the morning as opposed to a rehearsal on Saturday because it's all different. Because when you're a kid, you don't know nothing about staying up that late playing right. for people. Right. <laughs> so I was tired. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we got to finish the set and I'm hanging on. He's like, come on, come on. you know, because that music back then, Black Heat, Never No Time to Burn, all I can understand it. That was energetic. Right. Right. Yeah. And you can't be mealy mouthing that at 12 when adults want to dance and they're wide right. open. You a kid. And you like tired, you know, I'm supposed to be in bed with milk and cookies, you know, <laughs> it taught me a lot right. about so, stamina. Yeah. Were y'all playing in the clubs underage? Yes. Yes. Yeah. That, I, that, I find that I find that to be most most people from my era. Yeah. Um, it, it it spoke to the talent, though. Yeah. yeah that, to be at that level of us playing in places that the owner would tell us, don't let me catch you at the bar. 
Right, right. You know, I don't want to lose my license. Y'all, you know, yeah. I'll bring y'all whatever soda y'all want back here. Y'all can't come. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But um, yep. but to be good enough as a unit to entertain paying customers. Yes, yes. <laughs> said a lot. Yeah. Cause you know, the reason I think a lot of that happened is because we were up and coming listening to the newer music. Yeah, and even yeah. though a lot of the older people will still want to hear the blues, they right. wanted to hear that other stuff too. Right. That Ohio plays, it's like they were excited. I remember, you know, they would come, hey, here's a dollar for you. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, keep playing that thing, you know, because it was good for them. And the it was a perfect storm because the disco era hit, you know, right. the fusion stuff hit, and you had your funk stuff perfect storm with the R&B stuff. Right. So for you, you know, and, and and people like myself, we in this bracket, this age bracket, I, I know it was a perfect storm, man, because we had so much, there was so much to learn from. And every day, like I said, from 10th to 11th grade, people were like, damn, you, you know, you got pretty good. And I was like, yo, I was like, I practiced all summer because there was right. so much music out and right. I had to get a piece of it all. Right. You know, um, and, and and I was fortunate because Gary in the U.S. Bonds came to my house, mm, okay. right? talked to my father, said, listen, we want to take him out for the summer. This is a lot of Yeah. And my father was like, Gary in the U.S. Because mm. they left a note for me wow. on the door. My father, I come home. He's like, hey, this Gary in the U.S. Bonds guy. I was like, yeah, dad, that's Gary in the U.S. Bonds. Right. right. And he said, oh, he wants you to play drums for him. And I was like, what? I was like, nah, right? So sure enough, he comes by, talks to my father, you know, and, and they make some type of an agreement that, you know, um, I could only do it for the two months for summer. And that was it. And then, you know, by late August, I got to, you know, stop doing it and get ready for 12th grade senior high school. And like I said, my father was sick. He was dying of cancer. So he didn't want me to not have that. And right. it, it made his day because he was like, you know, I could see his chest puffed out a little bit. Now, he didn't know Gary your response from whoever. Right. But yeah. He knew that, oh, this man is somebody in the business. Right. Comes to Long you. Island to, to want to get his son to play. Right. Uh, and I never really told this story. And, um, you know, so that experience with Gary and U.S. Bonds led me to meet First Impression and Chuck Dura. And mm. Chuck Dura had this band called NYC Review, and they used to play in the city. That was my first city experience going there. Okay. Whole different, again, another level, right? Because right? we're opening up for the Tramps. Now, okay. they had just dropped Disco Inferno. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah. So now I'm like, like Jackie Gleason, oh, we can call it out. <laughs> scared, bro. I'm back there, hyperventilating, sweating. Um, you know, you overthink it as a drummer, like, oh, I got to do this. I got to do that. And, and, and Kevin Carroll one of the singers at NYC Review, right? It, he was funny because he used to drink a lot. He used to come like a minute before the show, get on stage and blast him. <laughs> but he, he used to come and, bro, they hated him. They never knew he was show up or not. Right, Kevin, I love you, bro. But Kevin Carroll, they never knew about this guy. He was one of them guys. Right. He's going to do his thing, though, when he got to Yes, yes. So he comes and he said, what's the matter with you? And I said, man, I was like, mm. and that might have been, I'm, I'm not telling him this, but I'm giving him the look like, I think I bit off more than I could chew. 
because I'm literally going over in my head and forgetting all the parts. Mm -hmm. And then he said, listen, he said, all you got to do, he said, follow me. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, that's right. I don't I ain't, I ain't the leader of this thing. I'm just a part. He made right. me realize that you're just a part cog. You ain't right. the whole thing. It ain't right. about you. You know, so yeah, man. So that was dope, man. And and, and we did that quite a few times. NYC Review. By then, I was in twelfth grade, graduating high school. Um, and it's funny because by then, I was making more money than my dad. Mm. You know, and not, not that he didn't have a good job, right? Yeah, and all of that. Right. But yeah, I was making about like I don't know, two hundred, three hundred a week, and that was a lot of money back in right 70. back then. Yeah, yeah, it was yep. a lot of money. I had my own car. So, you know, I, I, I'm grateful. If I could do that all over again, I wouldn't change a thing, bro, because uh, I loved it, man. And and again, when you're 18 years old, you got your own car, you're playing with one of the best bands on Long Island, uh, you know, First Impression, because he had changed the name by then from mm -hmm. NYC Review. You're playing at all the top places. Disco is banging. There's enough work for everybody. Everybody's right. working. And I mean, the whole New York City, and you know this to be true. There wasn't, you could, there was jobs for oh, everybody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could work every night if you was able to. Everybody. Everybody was working. And that, to me, was my golden era of, and I wasn't even, I was always into the funk, but I hadn't stepped in that funk yet because right. I was, again, the, the progression, the levels. Right. God had his plan for me to understand the stuff first. Mm -hmm. um, and that disco, man, that's what trained me how to sit mm -hmm. in that pocket. Disco. I owe it all to disco. I ain't going to lie. Because disco, you had to sit. You had to. Your job, was, your job was that. Just that. Yes. Yeah, I think a lot of drummers back then w was was figuring that out because like you, I, I used to, it, it, you know, being engaged with the audience is one thing. But then when you're engaged with those accents and you see how those accents affect the audience, mm -hmm. it did bring, bring you closer to watch yeah. the audience and understand while, this, you know, and while still sitting now, because you still right. got to hold that bottle for the bass right. player. Exactly. You yep. know, and, and, and again, it, like I said, it was so much it was such a teaching moment, you know, it definitely accelerated. I think mm -hmm. a lot of drummers thought process that was like, okay, I can, I know I have to be here, but I got to make sure when Eddie Kendrick drops his hand, plop, you know, right, he, exactly. a friend of mine, I got to right. be on that, right. you know? Right. Um, yeah, man. And, and again, I wouldn't trade those because again, what you, what you get from that as a drummer, we get that satisfaction of knowing we got this. So when did you hit the P-Funk era? Oh, when boy. This, yeah. yeah, man. <laughs> now we're getting there. I'm coming through 76, you know, um, doing a disco thing. And um, I had knew Testify and I had knew the P-Parliament's earlier stuff, right. that, mm -hmm. that little bit that we was getting on Long Island. But I thought the first time I heard, I just want to testify. I was like, that sounds like the Temptations, but it sounds like they're drunk. Mm -hmm. You know, because it was like, ooh, yeah. ooh, luscious, <laughs> right? And yeah, I'm like, awesome. and the guy was like, nah, this is parliament. And then I I, I was big into labels, 45s, you know. Mm -hmm. And I knew Motown. They had the Motown, you know, the purple with the gray mm -hmm. and this yep. and that. But then I would read that parliament label, and it said subsidiary of Motown, 
right? And it was on Barry Gordy's wife's label. That's what Parliament was fledgling act at the time. They was on that secondary label. And I heard that song and, and my father was like, what's that? And I said, I don't know, Dad, but I said, it sounds like the Temptations, but they're drunk, mm-hmm. but they're singing about testify because he heard the word testify. Right. And being a minister, he's like, well, I got to see what this is about. Right. You know, and that song, it hit me in such a way to where I didn't I didn't I didn't like what I was playing anymore, mm-hmm. you know, and then. Years later go by and this guy up the street named Nathan. And that, that's when I was about, you know, when Testify came out, I had to say I was probably like in sixth or seventh grade. But right. when, when I got to like 12th grade, um, this kid named Nathan Hurd had an eight track tape called Funkadelic, right? And Maggot Brain was on there. Mm. And at the time I had reconnected with Howard Beeman and he was a big Eddie Hazel fan. Hendrix and Hazel was his, was his guys. And he said, you know, I said, wow, that's Jimi Hendrix. He said, nah, that's this guy named Eddie Hazel playing in this band called Funkadelic. And I said, can we play that? <laughs> right? Because Maggot Brain. And he's like, I don't think, you know, Biddy, you know, Goldie was the, the band leader. I don't think Goldie's going to want us to play that. I was like, man, you got to get a, we got to play that because that's like, that's it. And there was no drums in the song. Mm. It was just all guitar. Right, right. But the way it was. So I started doing some research about this band called Polly of Funkadelic McBang. Mm. And I, I, yeah, and back then, you know, you see a little blurb in Jet Magazine, that's all you got. There were no write-ons at the time. Those things right. were just coming out. So I remember this guy named Calvin, and he had all of Parliament stuff. And we go over to his house, right? And, you know, we got our little nickel bags, and he's like, yo, I'm getting ready to turn. You know how, like, the older heads would be like, this is going to change your life tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going, you know, he was hyping it all up. He said, now, we got to get high before we listen to this, and this is it. <laughs> it's the new thing, and this is going to change the way musicians feel everything. And he's like, yeah. He said he had brought the album up from down south because he was in the military. Mm. So he had two albums. He had Stretch It Out and Bootsy's Rubber Band, and he had... um mothership connection mm. and sure enough as soon as he put on boosie and i heard hallelujah doom, doom, <laughs> doom, i said that's it i said i'm doing that <laughs> i heard that and uh, i was like he's hallelujah but he's talking about the friendly ghost not the holy ghost Ooh, i was like what right so we listened to that and I, I got goose pimples now, and I know Calvin is listening because I'm telling this story. I was like, "Oh, and this guy's in a in a in a in a spaceship." George Clinton sent like this spaceship, and then I heard, "Good evening. Do not attempt to adjust your radio. There is nothing wrong. We have taken control to bring you this special show. We will return it to you as soon as you are grooving." Me and Nathan King got up, right, and went to Farmer's Market and bought those two albums right there on the spot, <laughs> went back to my house and said, this is what we're doing now. Mm. Everything else. And that was 1976. I'll wow. never forget it. And and it changed my whole life because I identified with them. Right. These guys were Black superheroes with crusty knees, crusty elbows, and nappy hair. They didn't look like a Jackson 5. Right. They didn't look like Smokey. And they were singing about space stuff. Right. And and also tying in messages from Huey P. Newton. And then I go mm. back and I realize 
that Parliament had put out an album before Mothership Connection called Chocolate City. Right. And I saw that. And it's Abraham Lincoln sitting covered in chocolate. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I hear this song called Chocolate City. What's happening, CC? They say you giant right. and gave baby right. chain. But on the positive side, you're my piece of the rock. And I love you, CC. I was like, who is this dude? <laughs> right. <laughs> he's he's mocking the whole industry. Right. You know? I was like, and I told my friend, I was like, are black people allowed to do this? Because you know, at the time, you're black, you're scared of everything. Right. I said, is, is he allowed to say all this stuff and talk about, you know, like Miss Lucifer's love and they sing all this wild, crazy stuff, right? Hey, and, that's, that's know, right up there with the Panther talk because that's what they said about them. Hey, yes. can they say that stuff? <laughs> yes, yes. And, and and again, I'm changing. The clothing is changing now. Right. I got my Afro pics. I'm like, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, James Brown, and right. Parliament is hitting and Bootsy and all that. And I'm like, this is it. Because Sly had started it right. with the revolution, with James Brown mm -hmm. and, you know, those cats. They had started it. And then when that P-Funk thing hit, I was like, that's it. And you know something? Back then, P-Funk obviously crossed over later on. But back then, it was all black people and only a few cool white people. 65,000, it'd be like, I don't know, 65, 64,999 black people. That's who was supporting that stuff. Right. Yeah. And 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 they were superheroes to us, you know, to black men growing up. I was like, and then I started seeing them on Soul Train. And you know, I started seeing them, you know, by then the write-on magazines had started coming out, this and that, and they was on the cover of that. And I was like, this music is doing something to me that no other music has ever done. And that's why I knew I had to be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, they were a revolution within themselves. Yeah. They they were the musical Black Panthers. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. Yes, they were. If, yes, if they nothing were. else, they was gonna make you think. Yeah. And 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 the album covers were so wickedly widely designed with the hallucinogenics yeah. and psychedelics. And then then to top it off, they were all A plus musicians. Right. And to see them blast off on stage live and then, you know, you would have to have seen it to believe it because you got guys in diapers. You got guys blowing fire out there. You know, you, mm -hmm. you know, you got Boosie in a sheet. You know what I'm saying? With Casper the Friendly Ghost on it. So, you know, and then you got like, you know, like, like just the the amount of of stage presence that Bernie Worrell had alone, right? You know, I had never seen a black man play keyboards with three stacks of Leslies next to him, right? You know, I had never seen a black man come on stage smoking a joint and throw it out into the audience. I was like, he's going to jail. Right. You know what I'm saying? And they was doing all this, man, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's it's, it's true because when you think about Sly, Jimmy, and Santana at Woodstock. Yeah. Was like Parliament was the next level of that. Yes. Some years later. Yep. You know, you, you can see that when you when you look at those three artists, then you're like, yeah, okay. So Parliament was like, and, and here goes our next level. Yep. Of 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 what we were doing. Like had Parliament Funkadelic been at Woodstock. I kind of wonder how that would have been, but I would think that they weren't supposed to because then it might have disappeared 
coming into the seventies. Yes. So with where, where they were was perfect. Yeah. Because yeah. as the establishments tried to erase and get rid of all of that in the sixties, seeing yes. where it was headed. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. You're absolutely right. Because see, when I first time I saw them, they weren't even the headliners. It was war. Mm -hmm. It was at the time they was calling it Polly of Funkadelic McThang, right? And it was, it was, it was um uh what's the name of that other group? Oh my god, it was war, and they were at Randall's Island. It was war parliament fucking element thing. I don't think it was Mandrill, because mm -hmm. they did stuff with Mandrill later, but it wasn't Mandrill, but it was a kind of like a group kind of like Mandrill-ish. Right. You know, that in-between kind of thing. And 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 then it was a few other local groups. And I saw them at Randall's Island. And I remember um uh, P-Funk was the second band on Parliament. They, you know, and, and, you know, back then, you know, brothers and sisters, they'd be all rowdy and everything. Right. And George Clinton leaned down and said, listen, if y'all don't stop that, we're going to come down there and stop that ourselves. Mm. He said it just like he stopped the show. Right. We're going to come down there and stop that ourselves. And he meant business because he wanted them to get into the music. And right. here's a guy standing in a dashiki and a jockstrap. Mm. Right. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I want to hear what y'all are going to do. And then they broke into, I'll never forget it, a song called Loose Booty. Loose Booty. And they had that, like, it was right. almost like they was mocking James Brown, but they weren't. Right. And I couldn't Sly had, a loose, Sly had a loose booty, too. Who? Sly. Yes, 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 right. Yep. He, did, he did a song called that, too. That's mm -hmm. right. And and I was like, okay, they stay, they're playing James Brown stuff because Booty was playing bass with him, but mm -hmm. it's much slower. And right. it, it, it had a different kind of feel to it. Right. You know, because George took that stuff and slowed it down. And I was like, man, you know, we was all just laid back watching the show. And and I remember thinking on the ride home, you know, and then learning more about them. And then I saw them two years later and it was BT Express. It was Parliament Funkadelic. Boosie Biden had his own band and it was war. And at the Nassau Coliseum. And I'll never forget it. Parliament lit that place up. They came on first. And when they left, everybody left. I remember looking back. I felt so bad because BT Express at the time had that number one song, Duty Satisfied. Right, uh -huh. I remember looking back, walking out the door saying, my musical life, part of me, felt sad for BT Express. But I was going because the funk was going because I didn't want to hear right. nothing else. Right. I listened to War. A little bit, and I dug them because you know the, the harmonic play and war, what they was doing, they had their thing, and it was dope. Because they kept a rawness, right? They, there was a rawness still there from the sixties. Yes, in their yes, music. Yes, like you said, yes. BT Express is when the commercialism started. Yes, yes, it started yes. changing. Yep, right yep. then. Yep, and you know yep. the songs were were good, but you could tell there was something about the music that wasn't yeah the same. Yes, that's right. So it, it, that's it was right. it yep. was more so. Oh, now, you know, just have a good time and dance, but don't think. Yes, think. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. And and we were all outside the Coliseum by the back door, and Boosie came out, got his limo. Now, again, these are superheroes to us. We got their posters, you know, mm -hmm. and these guys are black men like me, you know, and I see, you know, the glitz and glamour of it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm this is just me. I'm in my tribe. I found my I was fortunate. I found my tribe early, early on. And I have never strayed from my tribe, even though I've done other stuff, man. Um, but yeah, it was a it was a glorious, 
glorious time to be introduced to that music. And you said something very important, brother. And thank you for um, hanging out. Um, you know, invite me on your show, man, because this is dope. You, you said that it never would have happened had they been there earlier. And mm -hmm. you're right, because P-Funk had to come through when P-Funk came through, you know. Um, and again, like I said, it was a once, once they landed the mothership, which I was fortunate to see at the garden, Madison Square Garden, world's most famous arena. You got your name up in lights, Parliament Funkadelic, Bootsy's Rubber Band, the Brides of Funkenstein and Paulette. That's when I realized the genius of George. I was like, oh, so this brother is pulling a Barry Gordy in the funk world. Oh, you know, James Brown. Remember, James Brown, everybody in James Brown band had a group. Yes. Yes. I'm saying he's that same thing recording yes. on his label. Yep. From Bobby, Bobby Lynn Collins, the JB, yep. Fred Wesley. Yep. You know, so that yep. that whole concept of like, yeah, keep it in house. Why not? Yes. He got all his talent. Yes. yes. You know, yes. Maceo. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I just thought that that whole thing was like smart. You you got all it this was. talent on your belt. Yeah. Why not do that? Yep. That's right. That's, That's right. Said, the prize, the parlettes. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, it was like seven groups, man. He had the Sweat Band, he had Boosie's Rubber Band, Paulette, he had Fred Wesley and the Horny Horns, he had Palmer Funkadelic, and he had Funkadelic. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was like, yo, he's crushing it. And to know that this guy, he was born here in North Carolina, but he was right in Plainfield, the mm -hmm. P, and yep. that's the story, that's what the P stands for, Plainfield. And to know that these guys were still down to earth and, you know, they were putting out music. I felt it was personal. I said, these guys are writing songs for me. You know, every black person felt that way that was into them. Because again, we didn't have the 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 Led Zeppelins of the world and and, and those big, huge things in our right. black communities. All we had was the gospel, mm -hmm. the church, and the local bands, and bands like PFO, you know, bands like Black Heat. Um, never no time to burn stuff like that. When I used to listen to their music, man, and all of this stems and it heads up to the funk because George and them listen to all that stuff. You know, yeah. chairman of the boards. You know, right. the original drummer. Um, and I know Ken Knox. He's down here, a good friend of mine. But the original drummer was Parliament's drummer. Tiki mm -hmm. and Bernie was in. You know that um, band. Tony Bridges played for chairman of the board. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know exactly. that till I talked to him. I, yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. said I knew of them. I said, but you know, I never got to see him. Yeah, um, yeah, man. You know, live. You know, so that stuff, man. Um, yeah, it, it changed my life, Kev. It, it it did, you know, for the better. So, <laughs> so did you start playing bass around that time? When did you, yeah. when did you pick up bass? I tell you when I picked up bass, and this is this is, and this is another story people don't know. I played when I was playing, learning how to play drums. Um, you know, I used to like this girl named Laura Smith. And she mm -hmm. played upright bass. So, wow. I, you know, I was like, I'm going to go. And, and, and the, 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 the orchestra teacher that came into the seventh grade in junior high school was Mr. Burns. He was a black guy. Mm -hmm. And he was into upright bass. Okay. And he said, listen, I want you to learn what Laura does in case she can't make it because she was an athlete. I want you to fill it on bass. And I was like, upright bass? I was like, you mean that jazz stuff? Blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. I said, like, I don't want to do that. He said, listen, you're going to learn how to play upright bass. Period case because he was looking out for the black kids in the school, right. right? Giving us culture at the time. I didn't know he was giving me culture. Right. So he sends me and he tells me about Ron Carter and all these people. And I was like, Yeah, I said, but I'm a drummer. 
you know, I'm like, yeah, I'm a drummer. He's like, no, 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 no. He said, drums and bass go together. Together. Mm-hmm. He said it's basically the same thing. So he taught me a few licks, and I, I became her backup on Upright. Mm. I never had played electric wow. bass in my life. So when I was when I was about maybe um, I gotta say in my mid twenties. And and me and Gary was tight, and Gary was, you know, one of the best bass players in the area, whatever. Right. I would always go to his house and and watch him practice because he was playing Allman Brothers. He was playing all that rock stuff, Edgar right. the White Trash. He was playing some good stuff. I turned him on to the funk, right. and he was turning me on to that. Like, Gary always thanks me for turning him on to Mother's Finest and stuff right. like that. He right. didn't know about that. And mm-hmm. then I didn't know about the Allman Brothers and right. all of that stuff. So we became really good brothers musically as well as friends for life right mm-hmm. um so he had this fender jazz and he wouldn't let nobody touch it that was his baby but he said here man i said gary i, I just show me something right show me something and the first song he taught me how to play was lay lady lay but the isley brothers version okay because i was into their bass player right that you know because they was taking them songs back then and flipping them yeah i love the way they did some of oh my god kev that stuff was so good so he taught me that four simple notes but the bass was too big and bulky and i'm a skinny i couldn't do it right right but i always i was like oh there's something else for me to learn how to do you know, and then every time, you know, we'd be rehearsing at my house or whatever. And if a bass player left their stuff at my house, I was going to play it. And that's how I got into bass. I just started playing everybody's basses that was laying around. And then for me, I was like, all right, well, I'm a drummer, but, you know, I want to play bass, but I'll never be good enough. I never thought, you know, to do it. But, you know, I practiced and practiced and practiced. But when I got serious about bass, is like I said, when I realized I could play P-Funk lines. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I never I never wanted to play for anybody on bass. I just wanted to play bass and be yeah, able to play yeah. my own stuff. Um, yeah, yeah. The first, because the first band I was in, the bass player, Ronnie, who was actually, he was a drummer first. That I know. Uh-huh. And because we needed a bass player, he just decided, okay, I'll learn how to play bass. Right, right, you know? right. Because I got to have him on, because to me, that was just crazy, because... It was like, all right, well, if you're going to be the drummer, then I'll be the bass player. But he wasn't even playing bass. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he and he learned and he was the first one to start teaching me on bass. First song he taught me was Evil by Earth and the Fire. OK, OK. You know, then You've he showed me. Mm-hmm. I, I love bass, man. Me you know, too. It, Graham it, it, made it, me want to play bass. When I first who? heard hair, Graham. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. When yeah. I first heard hair, that's when I go. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I saw Larry Graham made my first bass player that I started playing with stop playing bass because we saw him at the Calderon. Oh. And he kicked my friend, good friend, Alan Griffin, thought he was all of that and then some. And we go to the concert, he's like, yeah, I can do this and that. And by the time we left the concert, he sat in the back, we was in a Volkswagen ride back. He was so dejected. Because he didn't realize the level. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I used to pick up raggedy basses and just keep them at my house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I learned how to tune. And and I would just sit there and just, like you, 
I wanted to just play the bass. I would be happy if I wasn't playing drums because at 12 at night you can't practice. I would right. sit there and just try to figure, you know, simple right. things here and there out. Um, and it felt comfortable as, as my hands grew and my body grew, I could hold the bass. It felt comfortable to me. And then I said, you know what, I'm gonna start, you know, trying to develop some songs on bass, you know, and try to write some stuff. So, but yeah, I love uh, to this day, that's, that's where I do all my writing, as you know, on the bass guitar, you know? Yeah. I, that's what, I was using it till I learned to play some sort of keyboards till I got yeah. to that level. But yeah. it, it was all with, with bass yeah. and I would hear everything else and, and yeah, and uh, do that. Good. But I actually started writing fusion tunes first. Right. Right. So right. When right. I was playing with John and them in the fusion band, my, yeah. my tunes was, was uh, with bass and yet I still didn't own one. So yeah, same. Um, <laughs> Like I said, when I would go to rehearsal, the bass player went to the bathroom and sat it down. Yeah. I was trying to get that idea out of my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, so now you're in there. When did the whole nappy head funk on me? This is a good, Create, good creation. Come on. Here's where that came in. I was doing drums for Craig and Jamo because I don't think he was available. But um, he had called me in on the gig, right? And by this time, I had, I had, to, to prelim this, to set this up, I, I had moved to Staten Island by then. So I was getting mm. more of the city exposure, city, right. the village, okay. the wetlands, meeting people. And that's the first time I had met Pearl. Um, I, I I was playing with this white guy named Vince and he played bass and me, him, John Purvis was trying to put together a funk band, right? And, you know, we couldn't do it because I kept telling him, listen, we ain't going to be able to do this without keyboards. You know, either we could do funk rock and live in color, but we ain't doing no P-funk without keyboards. Right. So he said, okay, well, let's go down to the wetlands. I said, what's the wetlands? And he said, oh, meet me at the club. We go down there and let's go scout out musicians, right? So I was like, bet. And at the time, um, I think Dig Deep, Shindig and all them was there. Um, and that whole vibe was happening. You know, Pat Diori had already been playing there a few times, whatever. Um, Eric with his band Pearl, um, you know, was doing stuff down there with Craig. And 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 so um, I met Craig Ajamu and, you know, we started talking about funk and stuff. And he's like, listen, he said, George Clinton's birthday is coming up. And I heard you into him. We're going to do a party for him at the Red Lion, at the Lion's Den. He said, do you have a band? And I was like, still faking. I'm like, yep. <laughs> Did have a band. I'm like, yeah, I got, I got, I got to put us on, man. I said, like, put us on, and I still got the original Clippers. That said the nappy heads, right? So he he puts us on, and then I, I and I I come home and I say, Jennifer, I was like, I got to get a band together that's gonna play Parliament Funkadelic, and you know, women sometimes they're like, how you gonna do that? Right, right, right. You know, they be throwing out nets. I'm throwing out nets. I was like, baby, please. <laughs> Throw me a crumb. You know what I'm saying? That's all. You know, I had about five no's that I couldn't do it before I even got the sentence out. Like, right. oh, how you gonna do this? How you gonna do that? I was like, don't worry, I'll figure it out. So again, I Long Island, you know, we always go back to the nest. I say, Gary, listen, learn as much P-Funk as you can. I got this girl named Judith Yates that sang pop, but then I knew she could cross over because she had sang some other finest stuff. I got her. Right. And then I got Daryl Johnson, because Daryl was a P-Funk head from back in the day, but he was always doing other stuff, but I knew right. he knew how to play Atomic Dog. Right. That's what I cared about, right? right? And I got John Purvis. And so we put it together, um, practiced, and, you know, we did Jamaica Funk and stuff like that. And by that time, we was hitting it pretty hard in a kind of rock, funkish right. kind of way. 
Right. And it was it was us. We opened up, and then it was the clones of Funk. This is how I got it with all them cats. Mm. And then it was Funkin'. Funkin' was the headliner. The clones of Funk was second. Joe Keys and them, and we were you know first. That's how right. it went. Us, the clones of Funkin'. So sure enough, you know, George Clinton's birthday party, he had been to about four parties before he even got to our party. But, you know, um, he showed up, him and his entourage. And I got the picture, they sitting there eating cake, this mm-hmm. and that, whatever, you know. And now the show's about to start. So naturally, we didn't have no costumes or nothing, right? Right. What I did, I went down into Lion's Den's basement and I used to wear spandex. So I took off my pants and just like had my spandex, they was cut to my knees. And then I took one of the tablecloths down there and tied it around me like a diaper, right? <laughs> and then I, I took toilet paper and rolled it and had this big joint and I burnt it at the end. So when it came out, it was like I was puffing on right, it. Right, right, right. took off my shirt. And the first thing I came out, I was like, ah, you know, me all wild and everything. I came out, I scared everybody. <laughs> they got behind the drums and we started kicking. Jamaica funk. Right. And everybody was like, oh, this is not from here. It's, 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 it's not tight, but it's it's not what they was used to hearing. Right. Because again, I'm bringing that living color wildness to it. Right. And I knew all the P-Funk licks. So Funkin' and the Clones of Funk, they had been playing together for a long time. They was all tight, P-Funk tight. Right. But when they heard us, they was like, y'all got something. And George, after we opened up, and I was like, George, yeah, man, I want to play drums for you. Now you'd be all excited. Like, yeah, man, give me the band, this, that, whatever. He was like, all right, start your own band. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's what he told me. He said, start your own band. And I was like, Ugh. you know, but it was the start. It was right. the birth of the Nappy at Funk Army. Right. And from that day forward, that's when we, the, the guy liked us so much and he knew we would play for little or nothing. He started putting us in the lion's den um, every Thursday for like a month. You know how they used to do back then? Put yeah. Them yeah. So he put us in for a month. And, and one day, you know, I saw this guy hanging out on the side and it was Pearl, you know? And he said, hey, man, can I come up and jam with you? Because Daryl couldn't make the gig. Right. And he had his keyboard. Pearl somehow was like, expect the gadget. Always had his keyboards with him. So he comes up and he's just jamming with us. And then the next week, he brought John Willis. Mm. You know, and then by that time, it was Purvis and Willis. And as soon as John Willis started playing on Alice in My Fantasy, I was like, you're in. Right. So I'm still playing drums. But I started realizing this is where I needed to be in the heartbeat of the city to find the best musicians. Right. And it was nothing against the cast that I was doing with on Long Island. Right. That city musicians were better. So, again, I started seeing, okay, well, I can kind of develop this thing, you know, and put it together and do something. But still wasn't going to be right without finding the drummer because I couldn't do. And John always makes me laugh. He's man, he was fronting the band from the back. From the kid. I was like, I had no choice. Right. But then I met you. And once you got locked in, I was like, now I could go ahead with my vision and push it, you know. And then Prez came and, you know, um, you know, then then you names you switch it out. Right. Um, and by that time, with Nappy Head, we had no original stuff. We was a P-Funk cover thing. And and it was pretty cool. You know, and we was doing our stuff in the village, whatever. But once you got in there and then your your technical ability and your skill and your knowledge and us being kindred brothers 
I was like, this guy thinks exactly like me. Cause I never used to tell you what, the, what I wanted to play. You just played it. And I was like, that's what's supposed to be there. You right. just knew. Right. And I was, I was, I'm grateful to you for that because without that, the nappy head wouldn't go. You know, I would, I always say, you know, Pearl was cool and he started bringing cats to the thing, but right. it was you and Prez that really saw all the gaps and filled mm-hmm. in those gaps, you know, cause Groove was always going to do what he did. And then all of a sudden, and it's funny because I had played with, with, with Andy in, in Clayton's band. Okay. I knew Andy before he even came in nappy head and Andy somehow heard about it, maybe through John. Right. And then by this time, Purvis was phasing out and Andy comes in and he was a natural fit. And he's like, Oh, Zach. Yeah. We played drums together in Clayton's band, you know, um, deep pocket. So that's how I okay. met Andy. I had knew Andy before nappy head. Yeah. Cause I never played with Purvis. He was yeah, gone yeah. by the time yeah, he was gone. started. Yeah, he was gone by then. Yeah, yeah. So, and it was just like, and then turns out, all well, you guys knew each other. You know what I'm saying? And y'all had played in Jimson. So I was like, yeah. oh, well, this is natural. You know, God had set it up that way, you know? And then, of course, you know, Tanya was playing with Deep Pop, but she was like, no, 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 I want to do this funk thing. So she came aboard because <laughs> she got more freedom. Right, you know right. What I'm saying? Clayton, we had to play his stuff his way, which is great. I love Deep Pocket. But she it wasn't used all of it, too, boy. Yes, exactly. But it wasn't all of that. So that's how Nappy Head really got kicked off. And and I'm grateful because here we are 23 years later, man. 98. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Great. So let everybody know what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. Well, what we're doing is, um, you know, we just dropped a new song out, um, United We Stand, and we dropped it, you know, Martin Luther Martin Luther King Jr. weekend because I really want to rebrand and have been rebranding Nappy Head since I had time, downtime in COVID. So we dropped that new song out. It's on Spotify. So on all the major platforms, you can go get it. Just look up the Nappy Head Funk Army. Um, and then, you know, United We Stand, you can download it, you know, hit our webpage, our website nappyheadfunkarmy.com we're all over the place i've been fortunate to um be connected in a, in a in a very spiritual funky way with bootsy collins and peppermint patty because pet they called me during the COVID thing and said hey you know we've been watching what you're doing you know um you know would you like to be a club funk ambassador you know for north carolina and i was like yo that that's dope you know so when they called me and they talked to me about it you know um I had been talking to you about some stuff that I wanted to do with a, with a, with a show mm-hmm. called Funk from the Front Seat, but we didn't right. have a title or nothing. And you and I had talked about this and I was telling you, yeah, man, you know, I, I'm doing this crazy thing. And, you know, I think that, you know, I, I just want to make people happy because we're all shed in. Right. So, um, you know, 15 minute thing on Facebook Live. And I was trying to think of a catchy title. And I was like, you know, I'm always funking and I'm in the front seat of my car. I call it funk from the front seat. So at that same time, Patty Collins was trying to rebrand the club Funketeers and try to get more people that she thought what would, would help benefit Bootsy's cause for kids. Um, you know, the musical right. thing and try to get people that she saw in the communities around the world that were trying to do some good. You know, and thank, you know, fortunately, you know, I was one of those people because I'm trying to do some good out here. So the two became a natural. Yeah. Thank you. And I appreciate that. man. that means so much because you're my brother and I tell you stuff, you know, stuff way before everybody else, before I even do it. You know, we talk months in advance about what we're doing. And um, 
So she said, yeah, you know, I'm watching your show. You're developing this thing. And how'd you come about it? She said, I think you'd be a great club faculty ambassador for North Carolina, but for around the world. She sent me all the stuff, you know, the access pass, this and that, and, you know, started turning me on to Boosie's new thing, which at the time was just getting ready to drop a year and a half ago, Power of the One. And she said, we're really trying to push this and we need boots on the ground. And she said, I know you got your band and I know you got your fledgling video podcast, but we're going to try to get some of your energy. We like your energy. And it was, again, perfect storm. God was good because now this coming May, Funk from the Front Seat will be having our two-year anniversary. You nice. know, and we're going to try to do something nice. big. We're going to try to get every single guest on two years. May 9th, ironically, I'm number nine. May <laughs> 9th is our, our, our second year. Mark and I have been doing this thing. And Mark wow. Lee, I got to give him a shout out. My producer, yeah, Mark. I, the boys. I drive him crazy. But he, I, I tell him that all the time. Yo, every show, <laughs> Kevin, I tease him. Voice. I'm going to tease him tomorrow. <laughs> I told him, I was like, Kevin says you have the best radio voice ever. <laughs> I tell him all the time, man. I tell him. I was like, yeah, Kev was watching my show. I said, he didn't say nothing much. I said, but, you know, I'm teasing Mark. I was like, yeah, but he loved your voice. <laughs> Mark's yeah. the voice. So, yeah, so that's that's what I'm into, man. I'm holding it down. Um, actually, you know, we did a a, a show um, with with the Motherfuckaholics and um, the P-Funk family back mm. in, in um, October. And it was part of the Funk Fest, Make America Funk Again tour that they were trying to set up again for this year, working with the Go-Go people in D.C. So we're trying to do that. But because that demographic is kind of far away, I put together over the past month a band down here in North Carolina called Nappy Head Funk Army 2.0. Okay. Where it's going to be like a local kind of thing, right? Right. And we have some we have some shows coming up in March and another show in April that we're putting together just to keep the branding and just to push the funk however I can push it out. Man, you gotta, so I'm, you gotta do what you gotta do to keep it. Yeah, rolling. man. Yeah, man. That's the thing. It's like you know, the funk. It, it's not a dinosaur and it's not a dying breed, but it does have advantages and disadvantages. So right. for me, being a true funk soldier. You know, it's my job. I'm obligated because I've been given so much, blessed by the best, to to do it. So I know this is where God wants me to do, and it's my voice. I'm able to, my spirit inside feels happy when I'm doing my funk stuff, whether it's the podcast or whether it's writing songs or whether it's performing or whether it's putting together bands. You know, I do love to put together bands because I love the process. Right. You know, I love to um, just say, hey, you know, this is going to work. Just give it time. It may be a little rough coming out the gate, but we're going to make this work. And it's all for the preservation of the motion of hip. Dr. Funkenstein would say, you know, cool. it's for the funk. Um, cool. And so, yeah, that's that's about what I got going on, you know, working hard, trying to stay healthy and safe. Just sending out prayers and peace and love to everybody, man. I'm loving what you're doing because you're my one of my biggest mentors and inspirations. You know, I call oh, and thank you, man. Everything. Yo, Kevin, I, let me tell you, you know, I call and tell you stuff that nobody knows, you know, yeah. and um, you, you, you're always there for and, me. And, and I love that, man. And, and thank you for the opportunity that I got to do your gospel funk project. Yes. Oh, Dr. yeah. Ride number nine. That, that was a great thing. Yo, I, I enjoyed that. So that you know. that Kev is what kept us in the door. Revolution. I told you that yeah. one song, you put so much foot in that behind on that song. Thank That's you, the that song that went to P-Funk Radio that got us in the door. Revolution, Thank you, man. Just knew it was going to happen, man. I, I, 
I really enjoyed doing that because it, yeah, it that made me fun. have to think, you know, it, it, it kept the creative thing happening for me and um, honed my skills production wise. And, you know, you always listen to something and go, man, I wish I knew that, you know, then what I know now, but you'll always say that about something. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's for yeah. a part of the learning process. But like you said, it, it, years later, it, it got into some doors. So it, it did Yo, what it was supposed to do. I gave that song to T. Jackson's um, wife, Brenda. And they put, because I, I told you, I, that's the only thing I had to bring with me when I went to the first Funketeers Ball, because the first two I was hurt. So I, that's all I had, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm bringing what I got. I don't care. You know me. <laughs> right. <laughs> I gave it to the DJ. I said, like, Yo, y'all got to play that. And he played it, right? And everybody turned around, and I could hear the whispers. Is right, that right. Right, that right, 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 right. And then they said, you know, um, Revolution, Zachariah Cloud Nine, number nine's in the house, Revolution, right? And so Brenda, who was Chocolate City Alliance uh, for the, you know, for the for the Funketeers Ball, said, you got another copy? And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I got another copy here. Yeah. So she gives it, and I didn't even know Keith at the time. She gave it to Keith, right? So then he calls me the next day. And he says, okay, you know, next week we put this on the air. This P Funk Ray, we're putting this on the air, right? Nice. And I was like, yo, that's dope. I was nice. like so happy, right? That's what I right. texted you. I was like, yo, Kev, they get ready to run the track. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, that's man, your work on that track was extraordinary, bro. Appreciate it, man. Really extraordinary, do. man. Really I had do. never heard nothing like it. And I haven't heard a lot of music. You took my idea in my head, took the funk took the spirit and the word and you put it in this package and yo, it's strong today because they still love that track. It's so strong and it's pertinent where we are with the times, man. So again, that project um, changed my life, brought me to the light. Yeah. Back that was to the light. Great thing, man. It, it was at the right time. Yes, it was. Definitely at the yes, right time. So let everybody know when's when's Funk from the Front Seat is on Saturdays at Yeah, we, we, we do our thing, Funk from the Front Seat, every Saturday, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you know, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Um, we have great guests. We cover a variety of topics. It's yes. a no, it's a, it's a win-win, I believe, because we're not stressing anyone out about dogging people we don't punch down right. on people we we try to stay pertinent we try to keep it honest and real and you right. can catch us on you know youtube facebook live um uh, twitter um tiktok you know we're on all those major outlets you know but um uh, if you check my facebook page you know you'll always see a link and you guys can watch the show we have a lot of great comments a lot of people tuning in on the thread and you know we get into it and we chop it up and, and basically, it's the show. I always say the show is for the people. Yeah. You know, I've been blessed to be the, the conduit. But the show right. is for everybody out there that really just needs a place to come talk about whatever they want to talk about. Ooh. We don't defame. We don't punch down. We're into all that other nonsense. But, you know, we let people get loose, you know, right. because people have a lot to say and and people need platforms. Right. You know? Absolutely. And um, and it's great. And, and 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 digitally, this age that we're in is no reason not to try to help people get their voice out. You know, right. so, like oh. you doing, man. You yeah, know, man. You, talk about this. you told me about this a long time ago. You said, yeah, I'm yeah. Gonna do this. 
Yeah, know? I'm glad I finally got it launched, man. Thanks so hey. much. All right, man, we're going to end it here. Love you, brother. Zach, man, appreciate you really coming on, man. Because, you know, hey, you man. have me on your show. I really appreciate it. Hey, man. You know, Same. Gonna, goes, goes, gonna, definitely going to do it again, man. No doubt. But no all right, y'all. We out, out with Zach. And y'all turn tune in for the next yeah. Musician Rewind. All right, now. Peace. All right, later.